0: Well, uh, good morning. Welcome to Kings. Great to see you. Here. It's great to have the opportunity to uh, share God's uh, word with you, and um, uh, I hope uh, I hope you're ready to open up to God this morning. I believe God has given me a word which has just lots of pastoral application, and I'm hoping that it would speak to a good number of you. Uh, Title of the message out of the story of Hagar is "You are the God that sees me." You are the God that sees me. Uh, who's seen Forrest Gump? Has anyone seen Forrest Gump? What a great movie, Forrest Gump! is. If you haven't seen Forrest Gump, first application of the days, you should watch Forrest Gump. It's a great movie, and you know it's loads of good quotes, Bubba, and all things like that, that you probably remember if you've seen the movie. But it's one of those movies which starts with the end from the beginning. It starts at the end, and then they take you back, and you they work all the way back to seeing um, a forest sitting on a bench. It's a message, a movie, that has the end from the beginning. You are the God that sees me. We're going to follow a storyline which ends with a pregnant uh, Egyptian servant girl in a desert place, rejected, alone, afraid and far from home. And it's in that place that she encounters God in a deep way. And I want you to know right from the beginning, the beginning of this message, I I want to tell you the punchline before I even tell you the joke. Yeah? Yeah? I want to tell you the end from the beginning so that we, could, we don't miss it. We know right through the message that this is what God's trying to say to us. I'm trying to communicate to you. out of the scripture. And at the end, that we could all say, you are the God who sees me. You are the God that sees me. And I'm praying and trusting that for a good number of us here, it will have lots of partial application. It will give us comfort. It will give us encouragement. It will help us whatever the circumstances of our life, whatever season, whatever trouble we're going through. So that's where we're going. So let's look at the story full of hope and also revealing the pastoral heart of God. We're going to read from Genesis and verse 16. If you've got your Bible, it's always good to have your Bible or have it on your iPhone or something to read the scripture yourself. But if you haven't, don't worry, it'll come up on the screen. So Genesis 16:1 to 15. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. And so after Abram had been living in Cana uh, 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to a husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she conceived now, first thing up front, this is a bit of a strange story, not something that we uh, encourage or practice here in this church, may I add. Um, and so just a cultural, I mean, I've, I've said for years, one wife is enough for any man, okay? That's my uh, view on such things. Uh, but in the culture of the day, this was not uncommon practice. It was partly because their understanding of actually even how a baby was produced. They felt that it really came from the man. It was in the seed. And we are following the kind of promise that there would be a seed that would go through and the descendant ultimately would be revealed in the Messiah, Jesus. And they felt the womb was like a chamber and just like carried the baby. Um, and if a particularly a wealthy man uh, was looking to protect the family line and his wife was barren, this is... Uh, what would happen. So that's the cultural context, but obviously not something that we encourage or practice here. So anyway, pick up verse four. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And then Sarah Sarai, said to uh, Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Uh, your slave is in, in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. And Sarai ill-treated Hagar, and so she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And it was, in the, it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, a slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Sarai. Uh, She answered, and then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery and he will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. And she gave this name to the Lord, Who spoke to her? You are the God who sees me. For she said, "I have now seen the one who sees me." That is why the well was called Beer Roy is still there between Kadesh and Bered. And so Hagar bore Abraham a son. uh, Abraham, who became Abraham, a son, and Abram uh, gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born, and Abram was. 86 years old, when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Okay, uh, three-point sermon for you today. My Baptist roots suddenly appear again. Uh, and so here we go. This is where we're going. A framework for you. God's promise, God's timing. Second point, life or death in the desert place, the heart of the message. And then lastly, good questions, good answers. Okay so God's promise God's timing life or death in the desert place good questions good answers How many of you not only have seen Forrest Gump but have followed the series Line of Duty Has anyone seen the series Line of Duty Oh, that is a great series. Second application is Forrest Gump and then Line of Duty. Deb and I were late adopters to Line of Duty. We have just found it out and Deb has been binging on it. And because I'm a good husband, I've binged with her. And so we, it's just been, it's just fantastic. And just what it is, it's a series about the police investigating the police And so, what happens? The series starts with an activating event as a big crime, or someone gets murdered, and you can see, well, that person did it, and it looks really obvious. And then, what happens is, as the riots and the producers take you on, you suddenly realise maybe it's not all all adding up, right? And therefore, AC12 come in and they investigate the police, yeah, and they check out whether there's corruption, really, and they're doing this, and. Halfway through the series, you have got no idea what's going on. You don't know if, whether a person is originally put in prison or, or went to court. They should have done. And what you do know is that there is a backstory. There's something going on here that you're just not aware of. But you know by the middle of ser- episode six, uh, um, they'll all come clear. Well, that's the same here with this story. We are now six weeks into Genesis, and so we are hopefully aware that there's a huge backstory going on here. Um, and We have that advantage. And I just want to remind you of three constant themes that come through the book of Genesis. The first is the ongoing consequence of the fall. Sin has come into the world, and... uh, Basically, there's huge relational breakdown, there's murder, there's just ongoing consequence. And you can just see it here again in this story we've just read. At the same time, you have the remarkable sovereign God who seems to, even though the humans, like people like you and me are mucking up around it, the sovereignty of God continues. He is covenanted. he has promised that there will, become, there will be a solution to this. And it will be in a descendant now to Abraham and a Messiah will come and provide a way to unravel the consequences of the fall. And so you have these two things running in parallel, the continual breakdown. But at the same time, the covenant God seems in his uh, kind of awesome power to actually just hold it all together. It's remarkable. And then the third thing, in the midst of that, the sovereign God reveals his gracious, compassionate heart towards people. He seeks out a nobody. Someone like me and you, actually. In this situation, it's a servant girl. She's Egyptian. She's not even in the people of God. And God goes and looks for her. So in the middle of um, the kind of consequence and the sovereignty of God, you have this grace of God and how he deals with people like you and me. And in this situation, a poor servant girl. I find that remarkably encouraging. It means ultimately that there might be chaos on the earth, but God is in control. And ultimately, not only did the Messiah come, but he will come back again. And in the midst of the chaos, he cares for you and me. You are the God who sees me. Have you ever had a sense of living with God's promise on your life? You believe God has spoken to you. Uh, maybe you feel called to a particular career or ministry. Or uh, for me, it was I felt called cool to be a pastor. I got saved at 19. I was like all in. I mean, if Jesus is raised from the dead, it's a, it's a, it's a complete game changer. And I, I was never going to be lukewarm. I was never going to be maybe Christian. I'm in. This is true. This is real. Let's go for it. And so I early on felt the sense of call. Cool. And Abraham here uh, is feeling that he's got a big call cool on him. he's going to be the father of all nations but he's got a problem his wife is barren she can't have a child and uh, so they kind of hatch a plan to solve the situation and Sarah says "Well, why don't you take my servant girl which is obviously culturally normal and acceptable Uh, but Sarah kind of goes moves very quickly from faith in the promise to sort of she she actually in a few chapters goes from the Lord gave us a promise to the Lord has kept me from having a child How quickly we can move when we're holding on to a promise and actually blame God. Well, we see that here. But for me, the real issue in this passage when it comes to promise and God's timing is the question of when do you act and when do you wait? When do you act and when do you wait? When you're living with something, do you actually say, is it with you? Is it your responsibility to kind of make it happen? Or do you just go passive and wait I find this a huge tension. I even find it a tension just in my own life and leading this church. When do we go for something? When do we wait? When's God saying yes? When he's saying maybe? When is he saying no? I'm a bit like Jonathan. I'm the type of personality is a bit like Jonathan that says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. I'm an activist. But it has got me in trouble over the years. Because sometimes I've got ahead, not of the promise, but of the timing of God. Probably the, the best or worst example of this is when I was a young man. As I said, I felt the call of God. And uh, I was about 20, 21. Uh, just saved a couple of years before. And I nearly went to Spurgeon's Bible College to do a degree in theology. But fortunately, God saved me from that. At the time, it was really painful. He saved me because, you know, I'm, I'm not academic. I don't know, that doesn't surprise most of you in the room that come regularly. I'm just not. I'm really not. I mean, I struggle with English. Uh, and uh, so doing Greek and Hebrew, I'm, I think it's really important. And I'm glad there are people that like doing things like that. But it wasn't for me. I think it would have killed me. Yeah. And uh, so I went through a difficult time. I went through a time when it, I felt called, cool, But this clearly wasn't working out. And God put me on wait for six years. And then I became a youth pastor in Bedford in the church. Uh, I got saved in. And then before I came to lead this uh, church. So sometimes I think it's a real, it's wisdom and maturity to live in this tension between holding on to the promise and God's timing. And God can teach us much in those seasons. A second point was life or death in a desert place. And this is really the heart of the message I felt God gave me uh, for this morning. And. Um, Life or death in a desert place. The angel of the Lord, which could be the Lord himself uh, or an angel, uh, found Hagar near a spring in a desert place. I love the heart of God that goes looking and seeking for this, you know, this Egyptian slave girl that's, you know, found herself in this situation. I just love that about God. Uh, And when I think about desert, I don't know about you, I think about sort of dunes, you know, like you see in the Sahara in the big movies, yeah? But really in scripture, desert could also be translated wilderness. It's really a place which hasn't got good fertile ground or is a lack of water supply. It's just very dusty. It's very dry. And the desert place, it's a dangerous place. The desert is a dangerous place. A constant heat through the day. Very cold at night. Limited or no water supply. No food Here, there's a spring that Hagar is sort of, that's why she's there. Because there's a spring, there's a water supply. But it is a place of wilderness. And a place of wilderness is not a good place for a pregnant woman to be. This is not plan A here. She's run away and she finds herself in a desert place. And the desert or the wilderness in scripture represents at times judgment. Or the consequence of unfaithfulness, the place of testing and temptation, or just spiritual separation. It's it's not a good place. It's a place of wilderness. It's a dangerous place, spiritually speaking. Um, You can die in the wilderness. But in Scripture, it's also a place of encounter. Of supernatural provision. It's a place where you can get manna from heaven in the Exodus story. Or John the Baptist can speak from the wilderness and herald the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In the desert place, Hagar, a servant girl, is found by God and she encounters him. She encounters him in a deep way. In fact, she does something that I was talking to with Andrew Wilson, our teaching pastor, that no one else does in Scripture. She gives a name to God. God normally names himself. He says, I am who I am, uh, out of a burning bush before Moses. Yeah, God is saying, look, this is who I am. I, I'm going to describe to you who my character is because I'm God. But here, a servant girl gives God a name. You are the God who sees me. The wilderness is a dangerous place, but it's also a place where you can encounter God in a deep, deep way. So I know in my own life, this is what tends to happen. When things are going fine, Yeah, I tend to drift back into my own skills and ability. Things are going well. <laughs> oh yes, I'm an experienced pastor now, not a youth pastor. I'm an experienced pastor, oh yes, God's really blessing the church, oh, what a great leader I am, Lord, what a great, thank you for blessing me, yeah, and things like that. I'm sure none of you do that, because you're far more holy and spiritual than me, uh, but very quickly, we can, and then it takes one phone call, one phone call, one life event, and whoa, you're in a different place. I found, I'm not looking for trouble. I've got enough trouble already. I'm not looking for it. I'm not looking for a troubled place so that I can know the blessing of God. But I do know this from life experience that I've encountered God very often uh, more deeply through the really difficult timings of life. Yeah? Um, you can encounter God in good seasons as well, but your danger is you, you, you don't lean into God in those things. You just think, oh, oh well, look at me. Rather than in, the pain. In, in pain, sometimes you find God in a deep way. Uh, one writer I put it better than I could. It says, The desert of our lives are undoubtedly troubling places of both temptation and doubt, but they can also be occasions for deep spiritual renewal. They can be occasions for deep spiritual renewal. Now, what I've observed in life and what I've experienced in life is that uh, a desert and wilderness... Comes sometimes in a season of your life. You're actually it's just you're in this season where it's just really difficult. Yeah. Other times things would be going really well. But for most of us we actually have areas of wilderness at most times. We might be going great at work, but actually we're struggling at home or our marriage is fantastic, but our kids are driving us up the wall or works well, going well but we got ourselves into debt. And so what happens is that very often we all live with some area of wilderness in our life. Sometimes it's a season, sometimes it's just an area. I don't know what your area of wilderness is at the moment but in the scripture one of them was in the whole area of being barren. Sarah couldn't have a child. I mean if you are if you want to have kids and you can't have kids that's that's a tough place Um, you know you come to church and then there's mothering Sunday and then there's father's day and then there's dedications and then there's loads of new babies and you're really happy for people but if you're waiting or you're you're having trouble just conceiving uh, uh, Deb and I after our second uh, boy uh, Deb had two miscarriages and we thought uh, one was a bit later as well we thought gosh you know Um, it was tough it's tough Um, or maybe you're here and you're just living with the reality of well I've got a child but the child's got uh, health challenges these are difficult difficult things to walk through it's good to know and I pray that you will be able to say you are the God that sees me see God seeks you out in the desert place or maybe you're here and you're a Desert place at the moment is your marriage. I mean, I think Abraham and Sarah have got big issues here. I, I, I just think there's a number of issues going on in this marriage. And you can always tell when there are issues going on because these, these two things at least happen: the blame game starts. It's your fault. So if you're married here and you can hear yourself saying this, then you go, "Oops, he got me." It's your fault. Now, if if you did this, everything will be fine. Yeah. That's one thing that people do. The other thing is people abdicate responsibility. I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to talk. Uh, uh, or oh, look, it's your servant girl. You sort it out. And so what Abraham does here, like men very often do, is they don't take responsibility. And uh, and what uh, the the woman does is uh, starts nagging and blaming. Yeah, I could get in trouble for that last phrase, but anyway. I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about my beautiful wife here, who is her and Jesus, you know, uh, so. Uh, uh, yeah. What tends to happen, that's what happens. You get into a blame game and people don't take responsibility. What you should really do is say, look, this is our issue. It's our issue. Let's work on it together. Maybe here in your area of wilderness is that you're single. You're sitting here thinking, I wish that pastor wouldn't keep going on about how difficult it is to be married. Yeah? I'd love to have a husband I could blame. That's what you're thinking. I mean, come you on. Know. <laughs> Let's work on the problems. Let's just get one, you know. Um, but, you know, if you're here and you, you know, you'd love to be married, and you, it's just it's really hard. It is. It's a bit of a wilderness. It's a dangerous place. Spiritually speaking, it's a dangerous place. Now, it was a long time ago, but I remember being in a church—a church about this size, this what's in the room here—and looking around the room and concluding, "Oh, dear Lord, oh, I don't know if I fancy anyone here." It was a very spiritual kind of thing, you know. I'd like you to, you know know—I'm a pastor, uh, you know, so you know me. I'm very spiritual, and I thought. But I was committed to God. I put God first. I thought I'm just going to follow you. But it can be it can be a lonely place. What about the issue of debt? Maybe your wilderness is that you overspent or you didn't manage your money well or you had an expense that you didn't see coming or you got unemployed and therefore you got in trouble. And First it was a few hundred but now it's come a few thousand and debt has become a real place of pressure. So here on Sundays you're hallelujah Jesus but behind the scenes there's this wilderness part in your life. Or maybe it's in the area of health. Everything's going well. But it takes one phone call. takes one moment. Um, it's, it's difficult. I, uh, and these places are difficult to live in, aren't they? Um, I had a health scare last year. I had a cancer scare, actually. I, I, I shared it with the church in the first meeting. And then just told my wife that I've just shared it with the whole church. Because uh, it just came out when I was preaching. Because it does. Uh, sometimes when I'm preaching, because... I externalize. I'm open. But that's what happened. And I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm fine. The doctor said afterwards, said I've, he's never seen such a good looking and uh, uh, such a good looking for your age, physically remarkably healthy. Uh, and uh, so uh, some of you young guys got something to aspire to, yeah? OK. <laughs> but seriously, if you're going through a health challenge, now fortunately, I was given all the clear, all clear. Some of you here are struggling with cancer. That's your wilderness. It's hard. It's really hard. But I know even while I was waiting for blood tests and further stuff, it's just that limbo while you're waiting. It's a wilderness place, and you've you, you got a choice. You either lean into God and trust Him for these big things, or you don't. Hagar, hey maybe you can relate to her because she's suffering with loss, rejection, resentment. She's alone. These are the real issues that we face in life. Now look. Listen. You can meet God in a desert place. You can meet God in a desert place. Lastly, good questions, good answers. God finds Hagar. I'm trusting God's going to pick you out this morning in this meeting. And he asks two questions. Fascinating questions. Where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? So when you're in a place of wilderness, it's good to ask this question. Where have I come from? Why am I where I am? Is it just a season of life? Is it just Does it happen to all different types of people? Or is it a consequence of something that I've done? You own the issue. Or is it something that someone's done to me? Uh, or is it your response to an activating event? You've walked through a season of bereavement, and it's pain, and you've yet to process it, but you got stuck, and you don't know how to get out. I find it helpful to know how I've ended up in this, <laughs> oh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have watched that, I shouldn't, yeah, I shouldn't have said that, okay, own it, and look back. And then the other thing too is, where. Are you going? This is a trajectory question. This is a really good question to ask. So, if you're in debt at the moment, you're thinking, "I'm going to put my head in the sand. I'm sure it'll all sort out." No, work out where you've come from and look up and say, "All right, if I'm going to be in real trouble if I don't deal with this." Now, this is a pretty sobering story. What I'm going—it's a true story. When I was a youth pastor in Bedford had a young guy come say he was about my age, he was married to a lovely uh, young girl. Uh, and we were, Deb and I were just young, just being married and things like that. And he said to me, he came up and said, can I talk to you as a youth pastor? I said, yeah, sure. He said, I need to talk someone through, I'm struggling with pornography. I'm thinking, he's married. I thought, that's one of the reasons you got married. You know, you make it legal and, you know. Um, but... Oh, I said, okay, oh, now I was, I was a bit young and so I thought, I'm going to get my senior pastor involved with this, good move. So I met with Peter Ledger around his house with this young guy. And he sat there in front of us and we're asking him about the challenges of pornography and he just told us, I started watching pornography and then I slept with a prostitute. Trajectory, trajectory, where are you going? That story is supposed to scare some of you, unashamedly. Because the desert place is dangerous. It can kill you. It can trap you. Yeah? If I carry over spending, if I do this, if I keep blaming and uh, abdicating, this won't bring resolution. I love the honesty of Hagar's response. She says, I'm running away. I'm running away. I love the honesty of the response. There's no cover-up, there's no excuse, there's no denial, it's just like, I'm running away from the issue. I'm running away. I found myself in the desert place, I'm running away. Sometimes, as a pastor, what you'd like to do, you like to go around everyone in the church, you like to look them in the eye, give them a big hug, and then grab them and shake them. Yeah? Can I say that to you? Come on, wake up. If you carry on like this, do you know what will happen? Yeah? Sometimes what happens is when people get in a desert place, they freeze, they fight, or they flight. These are the three reactions. Very often they get stuck. I just don't know what to do. I get stuck, or they fight. It was his fault. It's God's fault. It's everyone's fault. Yeah, Or they flight. They just run away from it, and they kind of get into denial, and they won't face the issue. The issue is there. Their wilderness is there. And did I tell you the desert place? You can die in the desert place. It's dangerous. Yeah. But it's also a place where you can encounter God. In fact, you can encounter God in a very deep way. And God says, go back. That's interesting. I think that's the opposite to running away, by the way. yeah. So you've got a choice. I've got an air of wilderness. Do I run away? Do I keep away? Pretend it's not there. It'll maybe clear itself up. Just don't. Or do you go back? Do you face the music, deal with the problem, confess your sin and receive forgiveness? If you're suffering loss, get some bereavement counselling. If you're struggling with debt, join the CAP group. Yeah? Go back. Do something. I think the great truth of this uh, great story about uh, a slave girl is it reveals the heart of God towards men and women just like us. That he finds her. And I believe this morning that he's just seeking, he's trying to find you in the desert place. And that you could hear his kind of gracious, fatherly, comforting words uh, calling to you. And your response is a bit like Hagar's. Trusting many of you will say, You are the God that sees me in my area of pain, my area of vulnerability, my area of trouble. The story of Hagar is full of hope, and I'm trusting that it's spoken to many of us, that we will hear God speaking to us and will respond and will open up and allow God to help us in these wilderness places. Because you can encounter God there in a deep way. And that's what I'm hoping a number of us will do now. Let's uh, pray together. Thank you, Lord. Well, let's pray. Lord, we just uh, thank you for your compassionate heart towards people. We're amazed that, Lord, that as you hold your sovereign plan in place and deal with the consequence of human failure and sin and the fall, you have compassion. For a slave girl, you, in fact, you go and seek her, you go and find her out, and you find her in a desert place. And very often, God, we go through seasons where there's just seasons of, of desert or wilderness, and, and very often we go through times when areas of our lives are in a sense that uh, they're not lined up with you, or they're an area of pain. And Lord, we thank you that you're seeking us out. You're seeking us out because in these places, we can experience God in a deep and a profound way. Sometimes in a way that you don't experience when all is going well with us. And so I pray for any here that are walking through a, a period of wilderness or desert. I pray God speak to them. I pray, as I've observed over years, that when people go through challenge, they do one of two things. They either move towards God and move towards God's people, or they can actually go away from God and away from God's people. I pray, right now, people will be choosing to step towards you, to know your comfort, your healing, your touch, your forgiveness. That we would all be able to say, you are the God who sees me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.